0: All right, so we're uh, back and we're going at it. We're in Acts chapter 5 today. Acts chapter 5, let me catch you up real quick for those of you that are guests with us. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has already been crucified and he returned and he hung out with his apostles. Apostles were the ones that actually hung out with Jesus. Like I'm not an apostle. An apostle is someone that saw the works of Jesus firsthand. And so, uh, Acts chapter 2 came along. Jesus ascended in one. And, uh, chapter 2 came along. The Holy Spirit came and he took up residence inside of the believers. It's the first time that the Holy Spirit came inside of those that believed in Jesus. They were always in, if you go to the Old Testament, you'll see that the Spirit was upon David or others. But now he's living inside of us. And Peter and John are doing all sorts of miracles. They heal this lame man and they go before the court. Well, what do you want us to say? Look, you've seen him for 40 some odd years laying here and now he's up walking around. Do you need any more proof than that? It wasn't us that did it. It was Jesus through us that did it. The one that you just crucified. And so now we get to chapter 5. And what they've been doing is the church is all coming together. They're selling everything that they've got. Because Jesus says, I'm coming back. Like he just ascended in chapter 1, he left them, and he says, I'm coming back. They think he's coming back the next day. (laughs) This is back in like 30 AD. This is 2,000 years ago, and they just were expecting Jesus to come back. So they're selling everything, and they're giving it to the people who need it. The church is cooperating together. Whoever needs this, take this, yada, yada, and they just keep exchanging everything. And so now we get to chapter 5, and I want to do something a little bit different this morning. I actually want to read the first first 11 verses of chapter 5 to you real quick, and then we'll go back and we'll break it down. But let's just read it all at once. Jim, I didn't put this all in like one section, so uh, just bear with me. It says in verse 1, but a man named Ananias was with, was with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and, and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. When he heard these things, Ananias dropped dead. And a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, Did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, Why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly, She dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and on all who had heard these things. All right? Explain that one to me. Really? We teach here at Levener that after the cross. There's no condemnation for those who are now in Christ Jesus. That's a good word. And that God is a God of grace, loving God. But here you got two people that uh, lied and just got struck dead. Anybody, seriously, anybody got to understand how that might have happened? Anybody? Hmm. So, what? Uh, is that proof that the spirit is in us now? Well, if that is the question, Dave, uh why don't we see more of us just dropping dead? <laughs> right? Because uh, if is all they did was lie, they lied to the spirit. It wasn't really blaspheming the spirit. They just lie. Anybody? Yeah, what do you got, Matt? Ooh. How does Satan fill a believer's heart? So what you're leading to in that assumption is that they were not true believers. Is that what you're leading to? Alright. I'll receive that. Anybody else? How How do you explain this to people well let's let's try to break it down all right so verse 1 it says but a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property first of all here here's an interesting thing is Ananias's name his actual name means god is gracious Ananias who just lied got struck dead well, I can't say got struck down. I just say it says he died, but his name is actually God is gracious. Uh, and he learns that God is holy. Sapphira actually means beautiful. It says in verse two However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge. In advance, they had already talked about what they were going to do. They sold their property. And they were only going to give part of that property back to the church, which Peter was put in charge of. They had agreed upon this. They had actually said, we're going to lie about this together. It says that she knew in advance. And it says, and he brought a portion of it, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, the Greek word for what just occurred here is nosfismi. You go, okay, so what's the big deal about nosphysimai? Well, it actually is translated as embezzlement. And the only reason I tell you that word is because that word was actually used one other time in the Old Testament. It was actually used when Uh, In Joshua chapter 7, when Achan took from the fund of Jericho and it was devoted for sacred use, and guess what happened to Achan? He was struck dead. So now you've got this same terminology that Luke is using that was used all the way back in the Old Testament. An embezzlement that he is taking from something. Verse 9, it says this, or verse 3, it says this Ananias, Peter asked, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? There's that statement that Matt made. I'll make this statement along with what Matt said. Well, understand this. I'm a pastor, shepherd, teacher. I'm not the judge. Like I, I've I've gotten past the point. I, I think as a youth minister, maybe I used to like be able to judge everybody's sin, and I still have the ability to do that. To be able to, like Matt said, is to walk with you uh, and to even encourage you as you walk through this struggle that we're dealing with, this power of sin. But to be able to call out that sin, but to actually sit there and to judge you based upon your sin. I, that's not my deal, nor is it my deal to judge salvation. So when Matt refers to this, that Satan filled his heart, I truly believe that my heart is that of a new creation and there's no room for Satan in my heart. Literally, when I became a believer at eight years old, I believed that Jesus was my savior, died for my sins. I didn't understand it at the time, but He took my old sinful heart out, which was my sinful nature, and He replaced it with a new heart and made me a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 So now, when I process things as a new creation, I think differently. He's given me the mind of Christ and the ability to live life in Christ through Christ. Sometimes I still make bad decisions. But there's no room for Satan in my heart. He can oppress me, he can, he can be around me and on me, and the power of sin you know, dwell in my flesh, but in my nature, there is no room for Satan. So that would lead me to believe what it's saying right here is possibly, I'm not the judge, that Ananias was not a believer. I'll leave it at that. I'm not the judge. He could be the believer. The the next question I have about that verse is how in the world did Peter know? How did Peter know that he was lying to him? The Holy Spirit in him, watch, it said just in the previous chapter that the church was all of one mind and one spirit. They were all able to understand what was going on here. Peter was given probably direction from the Spirit to understand that Ananias was probably lying to him. Verse 4 it says, Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? Why is it that you planned this evil, this sin, this lie? in your heart, heart probably being that of his nature. You have not lied to people, but to God. You see, here's the situation. They weren't required to sell their land. And having sold it, they weren't required to give any part of it to the church. Yet because everybody around them was doing it, they thought it was the thing to do. And then their whole desire for recognition, maybe that's what it was. Let's get recognized for this. I'm going to go and take part of these earnings and lay them at Peter's feet. And we'll be recognized for this. I take you to James chapter 1, verse 15, and it says, "...then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin." When they sat there and dwelled on it, it act, you know, look, what Matt was saying earlier about the power of sin, I get these crazy thoughts and I sit there and dwell on them and I plan out how I'm going to act upon them. That's when it turns into sin. And then James even goes on and it says, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Like, there's literally sin that will physically kill you. It will physically rot you. It will destroy you. That's what James is saying. Then go back to Acts 5.5. 5. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead. Just right there. And great fear came on all who heard. Immediately the word went out. Ananias, he, he lied and he just died the young men got up wrapped his body and carried him out and buried him if you remember what we talked about in the gospels they couldn't bury them inside of jerusalem as soon as he died the young men that are around peter and the apostles they get up and they wrap him up and they take him out and they have to take him outside of the city the only ones that are buried inside of the city is maybe some prophets but they literally had to get them out lay them in a cave, it wasn't like they dug a hole and buried them, but they were able to put them in a cave, and that's why it happened so quickly. You say, well, why do you know that it happened quickly? Because in verse 7, it says about three hours later. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what happened. She thinks Ananias is still alive. She has no clue. You see, Ananias is now like dead and buried, and she didn't even know it. She didn't even get to participate in the burying part of it. And I think that's interesting because the evil one, Satan, will always keep the ones he uses in the dark. Whereas just the opposite, the one the Lord uses, He will always keep in the light and keep giving them information just as Peter found out. It's the total opposite there. Peter knew that they were lying, yet she didn't know that Ananias was dead. It's also interesting too that when Luke is talking about Ananias, he brings Sapphira into the story. Luke is very good through the Gospels, uh, the Gospel of Luke and through Acts, to include women in his stories. You'll see that later on in this chapter right here. Not only does he say, keep them in the context of supporting the church and witnessing, but he also keeps them in the context of responsibility, which is what's happening right here verse 8, it says, tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. We don't know what the price was. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? He's accusing her of getting with Ananias and coming up with this plan. Look, He points over to the door. Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. All of a sudden, she's like, "Uh, my husband's buried? This is the first time. You're telling me that Ananias is dead? I'm letting you process this a little bit longer than she had. You see... Here's what you need to know is it wasn't it wasn't Peter's job to judge, it was only his responsibility to confront, which is what he did. He confronted both Ananias and Sapphira. And this is the first time that she heard about her husband's death. And the next verse, instantly she dropped dead at his feet. Your husband's dead and buried. Boom. She didn't even have time to process it like you did. Now, here's the crazy thing is she's laying at Peter's feet the same place that Ananias put the partial amount of money. He, he put the money at Peter's feet. And now his wife's laying there. It says, when the young men came in, they found her dead carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. They took her to the same cave and did the same process. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, it doesn't say that the Lord killed them. It just says they dropped dead. I sit there and I, I've i literally for the last few, two or three weeks sat here and processed this. and, and not, not that I've never processed it before, but the fact that did God kill them, it sure leads me to believe that He did. <clears throat> that He struck them down. Obviously we saw that in the Old Testament several times, but now you're after the cross. Why in the world would God do this at this point? If He's a grace-filled God, Christ has already died on the Cross for all of our sins. He's taken care of everything. What was it? Was he actually showing grace to Ananias and Sapphira if they were believers and he took them out of their shame and their guilt? I, I can't answer that. I'm not the judge. I'm not the judge. Maybe he was letting everybody know that he would not tolerate deception in the church. And that's what was happening here. All the people were coming together. They were building a community. And, and think about this. If we, the, the body, the church, are, are God's temple now, we're God's temple, the Holy, we said the Holy Spirit comes and, and resides in us, the Holy Spirit's living in you, hello, and he's residing in you, if Satan wanted to win this game, where do you think he's going to go? He's going to try to get inside the church. He can do all the things he wants outside of the church and that that's actually happening. But if he wants to destroy the church, do you not think that he could use part of the church? Do you not think he could use part of the church? I'm telling you, he can. I've seen it many, 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 many times. And so now he's sitting here saying we're not going to allow deception in the church. Now, if that's if that's the case, man, you know, half the half the people in this church in churches wouldn't be here. But let, let's let's look at it two other ways in the scripture, of the New Testament. First of all, the New Testament describes the church as a flock. In Acts chapter 20, 15 chapters later, verse 28 it says this. Be on guard for yourselves, for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Like there's going to be wolves that come into the flock. You see it all the time, right? It says, men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. That's what Satan does. He deceives the followers. Therefore, be on alert remembering that night and day for three years that I've never stopped warning each one of you with tears. That's obviously three years later. So think about this as a flock. If the church is a flock, if I'm a shepherd... Matt's a shepherd. What does a shepherd do? shepherd has a staff. And all of a sudden, you see a staff with a hook on it. The shepherd uses that staff to like lead the sheep to a certain area. But a wolf comes in. What does he do with that staff? He whacks them on the head. That wolf drops dead. He's protecting his flock. That's what he does. He's saying there's going to be wolves that come in here and want to deceive you. I'm very protective of what goes out from this stage. I'm very protective about who comes up here. I'm very protective about who's working with kids back there. Shepherd watches over the flock. Then you, you, you take another illustration. If I go to 2 Timothy two one four, he says this, the church is like God's army. All of a sudden you went from this timid flock of sheep, now you're an army. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Now you're soldiers. If you're soldiers, what do soldiers do? They fight, they battle. Just what Matt was talking about in the beginning. We're in a battle with the evil one. It's not a battle with people or anything like that or circumstances. It's with the evil one. That's the battle. So, why in the world would God strike these two down? Watch this in verse 11. It says, then great fear came on the whole church and on all who heard these things. That verse right there is the first time that you see the word ecclesia, Greek word ecclesia in the Bible. Ecclesia meaning church. That's the first time you see the word church in the Bible. They literally started in Acts chapter 2, but now. Luke is referring to them as a body of believers in Jesus that get together for, I hate to say this, but for religious purposes. It was a community. They were in this thing together. We're going to survive together. So, by the power of this spiritual presence in its midst, this young community was now seeing miracles happen. They witnessed all this kind of fearlessly. This is all new. Look what Peter and John and all the apostles, people are getting saved. It's pretty miraculous. And everything was based upon the unity of their one mind and one spirit. I believe it's important for the body of believers to be unified. And the only thing that we're going to be unified in is this. Jesus. If you're going to force us to be unified in anything other than that, a building or purpose or outreach, we're missing it. The only thing that we're going to be unified in right here is Jesus. That's it. I'll fight for that unity. I'm not fighting for unity of anything else. We're going to disagree on everything else. We're going to disagree on how to interpret revelations. We're going to disagree on... I get that. But the only thing that we're going to be unified right here in this room right here is Jesus Christ. That's it. The the church can only thrive if we're unified. If we're disjointed, if we're at all separated, that's how the evil one wants to conquer. Divide and conquer. But if we're unified, if we're on the same page, then God thrives. Not us. It's not about us. It's about God. Where there's that Unity of trust, the oneness of heart and mind, the church flourishes. It absolutely flourishes with the Spirit of God. Where there's distrust, witness fails. It ain't going to happen with distrust. Now, Many times as I sit here and study this, it's often said that Ananias and Sapphira died from a psychological fright. That Peter just called them out all of a sudden and they just died. You can't prove that one way or another. We, all we have right here is Luke's words. It, it definitely does not alleviate strong judgment. And the judgment isn't about salvation either. I don't know whether Ananias and Sapphira were believers. I don't know that. That judgment is not about this. When all is said and done, I'll be honest with you, after reading this over and over and over, there's no comfortable solution to this passage. There's nothing comfortable about it. If I were like, go to a group of unbelievers, I definitely would not be teaching this passage right here. It's a unique story. There's nothing like it in the elsewhere in Acts or in this back in the New Testament. But what I think is, is, honestly, the church is only a few weeks old. And, and God is treating the church like an infant what do you do for an infant? You protect it. So early on, God was setting the standard for what He wanted to provide for the church. It's the only reason I got. He's trying to protect the church. The same Spirit that gave community its growth is also maintaining its purity here. He's trying to keep it pure from the beginning. That seems to be Luke's point here because what Luke has done here is in chapter 4, he's kind of bracketed this whole story about them building community. Chapter 4, verse 32-35 through 35 is talking about how great things are. And then... After this, verse 12 through 16, it's talking about the power of the Spirit in their midst. So he's really taken this one story here and he's bracketed with the great things that God has been doing and the great things that God is going to continue to do. Watch this real quick. Verse 12, it says, "...many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles." This was literally God's way of Authenticating the apostles' ministry to the community. Not only that, but it was God giving His stamp of approval on Peter and John and the apostles. Look, we don't find any miracles other than the creation performed in Genesis. But at the beginning of the age of law, Moses performed great signs and wonders. Remember that? Right before all the plagues and... Moses did some incredible miracles. Then Elijah and Elisha, they were miracle workers at the beginning of the era of the prophets. And Jesus and the apostles now are performing signs at the beginning of the church. Jesus, God has always provided miracles at the beginning of different eras. Each time God opened a new door, he would call man's attention to it. Watch this watch this. Watch this. And this is what's happening right now. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. Remember uh, John 14 when Jesus said to the apostles, you're going to do greater things than what you've already seen. Jesus, I mean, the apostles sat there and watched Jesus do all these miracles and Jesus is saying to him right before he leaves, you're going to do greater things. Now now the actual greater things are happening. And here, here's what you know. When Jesus performed miracles during his ministry, three things happened. One, he showed compassion and and he always met the human need. The second thing that he did is he, he was... Uh, presented his credentials as the Son of God. He proved that he was the Son of God. And the third thing that he did was he conveyed a spiritual truth. Remember, this is what happened. Previous chapter, Peter did the same thing. There was a lame man. He needed to be healed. What happened after he healed him? Peter began preaching. He began telling people about the salvation of God. Okay, you've seen this. Now listen to this. He conveyed a spiritual truth. It says they were all together. They were unified in Solomon's colonnade. That's probably in reference to the apostles because it would contradict the next verse. Let me show you where it is on the temple. Let me show you where it is on the temple. We got it? He's coming. There it is. See the temple? See the tall building at the top of the screen? That was the colonnade, and it actually went around the whole edge of the temple, except it wasn't that tall. That tall part, it looks like it's three stories, is on the south side of the Temple Mount. Watch this next picture. This was in 2012. That's part of that colonnade that still sits on the Temple Mount. That's my son, Corey. Micah and I went in 2012 with Corey, and that's actually part of the colonnade that they're talking about right here. It says they were all together in Solomon's colonnade. There was a crisis in the church and now they're coming together and waiting for God to work. Last couple of verses. No one else dared to join them. See, see the previous verse says they were all together in Solomon's colonnade. Now it says no one else dared to join them. So I'm assuming that that previous verse was all the apostles were together in the colonnade. No one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. There's intimidation of what just happened if Ananias and Sapphira lied and they just died. That story went around and everybody's talking about it. There's fear there about the church. But it's a healthy fear. They were not only talking about them, they're watching them pretty closely. Verse 14, it says, "...believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women." That is the first time that when you talk about salvation and all the numbers that came, Luke actually mentions, mentions women being saved. See, see what I said? It's like Luke has always included the women. As you go throughout this, you're going to see how important women are to the ministry. In Luke, he talked about how important women were to the ministry of Jesus. How they basically paid for Jesus' ministry. Luke was always inclusive of the women and he did it right here at the memory of the feeding of the 5,000. There was like 3,000 men, 5,000 men never mentioned the women or the children here. He's saying both men and women are coming to salvation. That was normal in that day. Verse 15, as a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on the cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. <laughs> I don't know if Peter's shadow actually was the cause. Co- what was the cause for their healing? Belief. Faith. It wasn't Peter's shadow. I don't know if that actually occurred or not. But watch this. In Acts 19, this talks about Paul. This is in reference to Paul. It says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands, so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now all of a sudden you're thinking about all those television ministries and those pastors selling cloths. I don't know if a shadow of Peter could heal him, but we all know that the only thing that heals is faith, belief. In the last verse. In addition a multitude came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. At this point, the apostles are all confined to Jerusalem, and everybody's talking about it, but now everybody's coming to Jerusalem to be healed. You see, there's this verse at the end of Matthew where it says, go into... Actually, it's in Acts. It says, go into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Right now, they are stuck in Jerusalem. They have not even left Jerusalem. Yet, people are coming and flocking and just trying to get in the apostles' way. Only later would they go forth from Jerusalem and begin to do these same miracles. But now they're getting ready to run into resistance, of course. Because that's what happens to the church. The church will always deal with resistance. Why? Because the evil one wants in here. He wants to destroy the unity of this group right here. And he will do that by trying to destroy each individual in here. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just saying, this is the fact of what we're walking in. He wants you to walk in doubt. He wants you to walk in guilt. He wants you to walk in shame. He wants to destroy you. But I'll tell you this again for all that are sitting in here, that all believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for your sins there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we sit here as a group knowing that we make bad choices sometime, but we are definitely unified in that of Jesus Christ. And that is the only thing that matters. That's it. Comes down to anything else, we're going to be divided. Lord, I pray for (laughs) unity And that unity being in Christ Jesus alone, you alone. That we can understand that. And I I try to make sense of this Ananias and Sapphira story. And Lord, you are sovereign. You're on your throne. you, You understand it. Someday we might. But thank you, one, for protecting your church. Thank you for faith. Thank you for your spirit that lives in us, that we can be unified, one body, one mind, all on the same page. Lord, I love you, I trust you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.